electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, is Bob Iger losing Hollywood, a big star going all out against the Disney boss? Rough landing ahead. One airline may be sounding the alarm on the consumer. Against all odds, GE may be pulling off the corporate comeback for the ages. One of America's longest-running newspapers going bankrupt. How the death of local news could end up costing all of us. Plus, the deal that may mark a critical turning point for the regional banks. And 800 million bucks for one season of soccer. Saudi Arabia making an offer few could refuse, but can other sports leagues afford to keep up? All that and much more across the hour. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, well, good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan, as the animation suggests. we got some breaking news tonight. A new report out from Politico saying that the Federal Trade Commission is getting ready to finalize an antitrust lawsuit against Amazon, which could include breaking up the company. Again, that according to a new report out of Politico, out just moments ago. And we are joined now by Josh Sisko. He is the reporter who broke the story uh, literally less than half an hour ago. Josh, we appreciate the hustle. Thanks for coming on the program. Uh, tell us what you have learned. So this is sort of a, a kind of a long-awaited um, case from uh, the FTC and uh, run by Lena Khan. I think we're going to see a lawsuit as soon as next month. Um, and based on past statements of, uh, of Chair Khan, we could see a breakup of at least part of the company uh, focused on Amazon's retail business. Yeah, and I want to be clear. There, there, there's been, to your point, sort of this speculation, some other reports weeks ago that the FTC was readying a possible lawsuit against Amazon. Lena Khan, who is the head of the FTC, wrote a now very famous legal paper, effectively calling for that when she was at Yale Law School. So Amazon's been on her radar since the time she was a, a, basically a legal student. That said, I believe, Josh, and again, this is all happening real time, I believe this is the first report that I've read, yours, which specifically mentions a breakup. And you and you cited a number of sources on this. Yeah, I think that is one very real outcome. Just if you listen to her past um, statements about how she's very hesitant, and it's not just it's not just Chair Khan, it's uh, Jonathan Cantor at, at the DOJ and other antitrust agencies and other jurisdictions. But if you they are very hesitant to accept what's sort of uh, called behavioral remedies, where they where they limit what business practices the company can do, and they really want to implement, they're focused on implementing structural change. Okay, so I, I think... Yeah, and I don't, want, I don't want to put you on the spot, Josh. Again, I, I glanced through the report. I'm not going to lie. Uh, didn't read it that closely. Just didn't have time. If there sure. was to be a request to break up the company, do we have any idea how any kind of a breakup might look? Would it be cloud over here, consumer over here, multiple things? 
It's really tough to say. I think this case is going to be focused on the retail business. And so we would potentially be looking at sort of separating different lines of its retail business, maybe separating first like the the sales that Amazon does directly versus third-party merchants on the site. That could be one option. That's an option that Amazon, I believe, has floated in the past to regulators to sort of stave off um, their concerns. But yeah, it's really, I think, too early to tell and any anything would have to play out in the courts over a number yeah. of years. But, but again, the timing, we got to go, but the timing would be that this lawsuit could be filed within a month. I would say that's very likely. Yeah. I mean, the timing on these things is always very squishy until it happens. But I think a month, they're really, they're really ramping yeah. up. There's been a flurry of activity. So we should see something really soon. Wow. Uh, uh, great scoop. Uh, Josh Sisko, appreciate you jumping on literally in, <laughs> in a moment's notice. Do appreciate it, my man. Thanks Thank so you very much. All right, let's bring in Dan Niles on all of this. He is the Satori Fund founder and portfolio manager, was on to talk about Google and Microsoft, which we will get to. But listen, Dan, um, again, I'm not a, I have a law degree. I'm not a lawyer, but I can say this with conviction. If indeed the FTC files this lawsuit to, to Josh's story and his point and calls for a breakup, this would be arguably one of the largest antitrust cases in American history, probably larger than Microsoft 25 years ago with the browser and everything, and perhaps to the size and scope of Ma Bell, AT&T back in the day. What do you think? Well, I mean, that's obviously true. I guess the question is, will it actually happen? They're they also have tried to block the acquisition uh, between Microsoft and Activision, and we've seen that hasn't gone so well for them. So, you know, there's what you want to do, and then there's what actually will get accomplished, and we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, let's, let's take it from a market's perspective. And again, I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot, Dan, so I apologize on that. First off, do you own, my, do you own Amazon? <laughs> Up until we saw the Azure numbers uh, that Microsoft put out, we did, and we sold Amazon in the aftermarket. So, you know, we like Amazon. I'm not concerned about this. I mean, this is going to be an overhang for a long period of time, just like it was with Microsoft and their antitrust suit. Um, but, you know, I look at these companies and I go, do they have great businesses and do I want to own them? And yes, this will be floating around for a while. But as we've seen with, you know, a, a lot of other things, it's not something that you want to be necessarily buying or selling the stock off of. If you want to buy it or sell it off of, fundamentals and what you think of the retail business or Amazon Web Services, I get it. But this is not a reason I would use to sell the stock. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, by the way, you know, again, even if the lawsuit is filed, doesn't mean they will win. Lena Khan, the FTC chair, uh, obviously has some appear, appears to have a little bit of bias against Amazon based on that law school paper. She hasn't won some other cases, Microsoft, Activision, things like that. That said, could you make the again, just wild speculations got breaking news, Dan, let's have some fun with it. Could you make the case that if if they win, they sue, they win, Amazon's broken up. Maybe is it and the shareholders get half and half. Could it be worth more apart? Well, absolutely, because you know, right now you have a retail business that is losing money. That's being funded by Amazon Web Services and their advertising business. Well, if Amazon were to split those apart, let's say, it's not like Amazon's retail business would be valued at zero and the other businesses would have some value ascribed to them, right? So in, in a weird way, this could be the best thing from, for Amazon shareholders 
and that the pieces could be worth more than what they are put together. I think for the consumer, funnily enough, it may not be great because the reason we get our packages shipped you know, in hours in some cases and at such low prices is because they're putting all of these packages through the same logistics network. And if you start breaking that up or you put start throwing gears in the sand, it's just going to make prices go up for the consumer. So yeah. I know that the government wants to believe, you know, big is bad, but for the consumer, that's not necessarily the case. And Amazon's not making money in their retail business at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's something we've all been waiting for. And that's what I'm excited about is, you know, do we see some improvement in that as we go through this year? And I, I think we will. Um, yeah. So bottom, we'll see what happens. Bottom line, I mean, it may not be, the headline may not be terrible for Amazon shareholders. Dan, thanks for rolling with that. Let's, let's get to why you are here and segue to two big dog earnings. They are out and they can move all your money, okay? One of them is the former maker of the Zune music player. Microsoft taking a little bit of a hit after hours, down 3.5% due to slowing revenue growth in its cloud business. On the flip side, Alphabet up after hours. Investors did apparently like those results, up 6.5%. But forget the cloud or online ad business. The biggest topic on both earnings calls a moment ago, (laughs) what else? Artificial intelligence. In fact, it was mentioned a lot. Listen. AI, AI, and AI, 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 Somebody needs to turn that into a song, and I'm going to have nightmares tonight. That said, based off our count from both calls, Microsoft and Alphabet executives said AI, or a version of that, 100 and 45 combined times. Um, that's, it's cool, that Dan, <laughs> but what do, you, what do you make of it? I mean, look, every company, regardless of their exposure to it, is going to say AI on the call because that's the way you get your multiple up. But as we've seen with results, what it really comes down to is, is the upside in AI offsetting the downside in all the rest of your business? And that's something we've said on air multiple times, which is companies may be spending on AI, but this is the year of efficiency, to to borrow Mark Zuckerberg's phrase. And all these big tech companies are focused on that. And so if they're spending more on AI, they're taking it out of something else. And that's what you're seeing. Um, And, you know, TSMC was a great example of it when they reported. They said, yeah, AI is, you know, big, uh, 6% of our revenue is growing 50% a year but everything else is weak, and so they actually cut the numbers. And if you look at Microsoft, yes, AI is great. Yes, AI, as you said, was mentioned 150 times or something between the two companies. But at the end of the day, their guidance for the intelligent cloud business for next quarter was less than what people were looking for. And their guidance for Azure, which was grew at 31% in March, um, slowed to 27% in uh, uh, mm-hmm. the June quarter, they guided that to 26 to 27. So a slight slowdown again in the September quarter, despite the numerous times everybody said AI since ChatGPT came out. And so the stock's going to be down tomorrow. I mean, you've seen this across the board, whether it's Tesla or Netflix. 
any kind of expectations issues with the guidance, margins, revenues, EPS, when the stocks have run this much, are going to get hit. And that's why we sold it in the aftermarket at 348, because when I saw the Azure number and I saw that there was no upside in it, I was like, the stock's going to be are down. You, in the are you, you totally out of Microsoft? Yeah, completely out. And I actually sold Amazon, as I said, as well, because, you know, obviously Amazon Web Services is much bigger than Microsoft. And that Amazon's going to react off of that Azure number as well. And so, you know, we and by the way, Amazon reports on August 3rd, I believe. So we may buy it back before then. But, you know, our goal is good risk adjusted returns. And when you see that kind of number with the yeah. run Microsoft has had and with every other than NVIDIA, it's probably the most associated with AI. Oh. There's no way in my mind that stock was going to be up tomorrow morning. All right, Dan Niles dumping out of Microsoft. Stock's down 3.5%. Dan, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks for rolling with all the Amazon breaking news. You're the best, man. Thanks. My pleasure. All right, speaking of earnings, or lack thereof, Snap is plummeting after hours. Disappointing numbers there, but we're going to hear how it may turn around tomorrow. The CEO of Snap, Evan Spiegel, will be joining Squawk on the Street. How many, like, up 20% and down 20% days has Snapchat had? It's like, the Bitcoin of stocks. All right, in the meantime, here's what happened to your money today. And you might have heard about this on this fine network. The Dow is now up 12 sessions in a row, tying its second longest streak of all time, going back to February 2017. Now it could tie the record, 13 higher sessions, only done once back in 1987. Tomorrow, no doubt, will be a fun one to watch, but Microsoft huh, may not be a big help to the Dow. The biggest winner of the day, Packaging Corporation of America, jumping 10%. The biggest decliner is Raytheon, now known as RTX, down 10%. Major jet engine concern there. We'll have more on that later on in the show. And keep an eye on oil, by the way. Crude oil rising again today, creeping back toward 80 bucks a barrel, which means gasoline prices are going to keep rising as well. Look at that. All right, up next. A potential watershed deal for banks. We're going to have the breaking developments and a big stock move, plus a jet engine recall. You got to hear the one we just mentioned and which airlines and maybe you will have a problem on their hands. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight. First up, call it an attempt to lure in more advertisers. X, the new corporate name of Twitter, cutting ad prices in an effort to bring more brands back to the platform. The app has had trouble enticing some advertisers since Elon Musk took ownership. 
X is offering ad discounts, including lower price video placements, as well as 50% off new bookings of certain ads until the end of the month. X also reportedly warning brands that they could lose their verified status unless they reach certain spending thresholds. Some members of Congress not going to be happy about this one. Wells Fargo announcing a massive stock buyback tonight, saying it will purchase as much as $30 billion worth of its own stock. Shares of Wells Fargo seeing a jump in after-hours trading following that and a dividend hike news. I guarantee you, some people not going to like that. All right, speaking of banks, a pretty big deal in the banking world. Bank of California moving to buy troubled PacWest Bank. Of course, that's one of the companies hardest hit in the regional banking crisis. Leslie Picker joining us now live with more. Leslie. Hey, Brian. Yeah, we've seen some volatility with PacWest in the last few weeks, and it's more than recouping the losses it endured in regular market hours when reports first surfaced about the transaction with Bank of California. But it's a complicated transaction, complete with asset sales, a private equity infusion, and an interest rate swap. But the combination is expected to be more than 20% accretive to Bank of California's 2024 estimated EPS and immediately 3% accretive to tangible book value per share. It's a new chapter for the Beverly Hills-based PacWest, which saw sizable outflows in the wake of three bank failures several months ago. In order to shore up its balance sheet, the firm turned to the wholesale market to borrow expensive funding sources and subsequently sold billions of dollars in assets. Warburg Pincus is leading an investment in newly issued equity securities alongside uh, Setterbridge. Those proceeds amounting to $400 million will be utilized in some of the financial engineering here, including repaying a $13 billion worth of wholesale borrowings, which will also be funded by the sale of assets. As in any bank transaction, these are fully marked as a result of the deal. PacWest shareholders will receive about two-thirds of a share of Bank of California common stock for each share of PacWest common stock. And as for regulatory approval, it's a big question mark these days, especially with any bank merger in particular. Uh, This was brought up on the call that ended about a half hour ago when the executives said that they believe that the time frame they time frame they laid out closing in late 2023 or early 2024 is achievable while noting, quote, we're not going to pin the regulators down. But you can see there are shares of both in the green on this deal news. Complicated deal, uh, but one that shareholders seem to see as a positive for those stocks, Brian. What a move by Pat. It was down huge. Now it's up huge. It's like chaotic. Leslie Picker, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, still ahead, as if airlines and you did not have enough problems flying this summer, some planes on certain airlines are going to have to remove some engines for inspection. We're going to tell you who and why next. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. All right, welcome back. Time for your RBI. Let's talk real estate and why Cleveland may actually rock. 
The latest Case Shiller Home Price Index is out. And if you look at the headlines, things sound pretty good overall. While down slightly from a year ago, the average price across America actually now up on homes sold for the fourth straight month. But like anything, sort of peel back that onion a bit. You see the gains are not everywhere. They vary by metro area, in some cases by a lot. In fact, the Case Shiller folks call the widening gap, quote, striking. So let's start with the bad. Median home price declines year over year. Seattle, right? I guess sleepless, sleepy real estate in Seattle, down with 11% year over year. San Francisco, down about the same. Look at Vegas. Vegas down by nearly 8%. What about the good, though? Well, maybe a bit of a Midwest shocker. Chicago, the metro area, had the highest jump year over year with prices of homes rising 4.5% from a year ago. Also rising, Cleveland, a nearly 4% jump year over year. Chicago and Cleveland, you go. The I-80 corridor, rounding out the top three, is quaint old New York City, up 3.5%. Overall, check this out. The Midwest has taken over the South as the strongest housing region in America. Rust Belt Renaissance, maybe? Time shall tell. By the way, I'm looking forward to getting back to the Midwest in a couple of days. Certainly random, certainly interesting. All right, in the meantime, news out of RTX, formerly known as Raytheon, taking a big bite out of that stock, along with some airlines. Phil LeBeau joining us live with the latest on a pretty, I mean, the, the, the headlines sound a little scary. It sounds scary, but let's be clear, this is not a flight safety issue. We're talking about some engines Pratt & Whitney geared turbofan engines that are manufactured by RTX. RTX's division, Pratt & Whitney, is the manufacturer there. There are going to have to be some inspections of these because they have found what they are calling some anomalies within the manufacturing process. So we're talking 200 of these engines need to be inspected in the coming weeks, another 1,000 over the next year. They're looking for powdered metal contaminants. We're not going to get too wonky here. Bottom line is that they want to make sure that these contaminants are not within the discs in these engines. And it's going to take some time to pull these off of the different aircrafts that are out there. There are 3,000 GTF engines in service worldwide. These are about 40% of the Airbus A320neos worldwide. They're powered by these engines, and they are on the aircraft of some Delta aircraft, A320neos, JetBlue, Spirit. All of them have some of these aircraft. Now, how long that the uh, engine inspections are going to take? A little unclear, but as you take a look at shares of RTX, it was a bad day, down more than 10%. Why? It's going to cost them at least $500 million near term. Longer term, the price tag remains a little unclear. But again, Brian, this is not a case where if you're on one of these aircraft and they have this engine, you shouldn't be flying it. They've been talking with the FAA. It's not a flight safety issue, but they do want to inspect these engines and if they need to replace the discs that are in question. Well, I'll trust it. But when I hear the engine is coming out, you know, there's two things you need in a plane. The engine helps. The wings are a little bit better. Phil, what airlines and what specific planes, not that I'm going to be looking, fly that engine? Well, as I said, it's the A320 Neo manufactured by Airbus. And about 40% of those worldwide are powered by the Pratt & Whitney GTF engine. And here in the U.S., Delta has them. We've reached out to these airlines, by the way, for comment. And look, they're still trying to figure out with Pratt & Whitney when the inspection schedule will take place. Spirit has some. JetBlue. Um, those are just some of the airlines that have these aircraft. And again, not every single aircraft has an engine that is in need of having a disc replaced. They're going to probably do a lot of these inspections, Brian, and they'll say, nope, no contaminants here. 
get back in service. So it's just a matter of how quickly they can do all of this. Looking for powdered contaminants. Hope they have success. Phil LeBeau, thank you very much. All right, so concerns overall about softening travel demand, could that be the sign maybe of a larger consumer spending problem ahead? Are airlines like a leading indicator? Let's take it to our panel. With us tonight, Crossmark Global Investments Chief Market Strategist Victoria Fernandez and Cowan Managing Director Helene Becker. Thank you both for joining us on Last Call. Uh, I don't know about you, Helene. I'm, I fly all the time, no fear, but I, I might be looking to see what... <laughs> remember, that? I might be looking to see what jet it is, wouldn't you? Is this an 8320 Neo? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll take no, Greyhound. I, yeah, don't worry about things like that. Um, because as Phil was saying, air travel is really safe. And um, what he didn't mention um, is that some of these engines have already gone through a maintenance cycle. And any of those contaminants that were found would have been replaced already. So to his point... They're going to do inspections on those 200 initially, and they'll probably find that a lot of them don't have issues. So you don't have to worry, Brian. Well, okay, well, back to you then very okay. quickly, Elaine. Do you, do you, before we get to Victoria, do you think it was a, a big overreaction on RTX today then? Um, that's not a stock that I cover, so I can't speak directly to that. I can tell you that the airlines were down a lot today, um, and the reaction there really had more to do with domestic, the domestic outlook. Yeah. Um, for for pricing and for traffic. Which confuses me to no end, Victoria, because every time I come down to visit all you nice people in Houston, the flight is oversold, the tickets are spectacularly expensive, there's an hour-long line at Newark to get through. Thank you, Clear, by the way. I don't understand this sudden concern. What are, are you seeing something that others are not? Well, when we look at airline travel, we know that going forward the second half of the year, they're really focusing on international travel. We heard Scott Kirby on your network talking about that last week, that that's really where the focus is going to be in the second half. But when we look at consumers as a whole, I mean, look, consumer confidence came out today. It was the highest that it's been in two years. So you have to say, what is out there that we think is going to shift consumer sentiment? Well, Savings is coming down. The excess savings analysts are saying if it's not done already, it'll be done in the fall. Um, you've got student loan debt payments that are coming due again. That's going to affect disposable income. Commodity prices higher. And look, it's earnings season. We are watching margins for these companies because we think it will affect the consumer. They have been held up by a strong labor market. If margins have pressure, then you're probably going to see wages stagnate or you're going to see layoffs yeah. increase. So I think there are some warning signs for the consumer in the second half of the but year. But you travel as well. I just don't understand it, Helene. Like I said, I just anecdotally, I'm flying back out to the Midwest this weekend and I've been doing it every year for 25 years. The ticket was like double the price it normally is. I'm not flying on some A380 with my own room. You know what I mean? I'm not Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm like tucked in there. I can barely get my knees behind the seat. Do you see any signs that that airfares are coming down? I, I don't see so it. Domestic, yeah, so domestic fares have come down. And that was reported in the CPI for the last few months. We've seen it on ARC, um, which used to be the Airlines Reporting Corp. Um, that's where our, all the airlines kind of go to exchange tickets when you have a ticket on one airline and wind up flying on another. Um, that ten over 10,000 travel agents clear through ARC. So mm -hmm. we know that domestic fares are down. 
um, that international affairs are uh, significant yeah. double digits. And and to Victoria's point and to yours as well, the shift we're seeing is into the international, especially European market, because a year ago, those markets really weren't open yet. And yeah. remember, the U.S. was still requiring testing to come back oh, until yeah. mid-June. And by, and by then, summer vacation plans were made. So you've seen that shift away yeah. from domestic very, and to international. Very, very, sorry to cut you off. Very, very, I don't want to shortchange you, Victoria. Yes, very sir, quickly, do, do, you, do you own any airline stocks or are you buying any on weakness? We are not buying any on weakness right now. And actually, we've been short some of the airline stocks for the exact thing that we're hearing that the consumer is going to be pulling back in the second half of the year. So I think you have to be cautious with that sector. What are those names? Braniff, Piedmont, Eastern. Uh, Victoria Fernandez, <laughs> Helene Becker, thank you very much. Have a great night. All right, a quick cro- programming note. Boeing CEO and Virginia Tech Hokie, David Calhoun, is joining Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning just after earnings. That's around 9 a.m. Eastern time. Tune in for that. Still ahead, say his name. Breaking Bad's Brian Cranston laying into Bob Iger as the Disney CEO lost the faith of Hollywood striking stars. Remember that? And the popular slogan back in the day for GE kind of epitomized these days. Shares have been coming to life. After a strong earnings report, it's seeing enormous demand for its jet engines, along with things like wind turbines. This is just the latest bit of good news for GE and its investors. It is putting together one of the more impressive turnaround stories in recent memory. Over the past year, GE shares have skyrocketed nearly 120 percent, making it One of the best-performing stocks in the S&P 500. Now, it's not all good. They're hitting levels not seen since November of 2017. We know long-term shareholders still taking a hit. But the stock has done a nice job coming around in the last year or so. All right, meantime, the Hollywood shutdown entering its 12th day and one of the biggest names in show business, slamming Disney CEO Bob Iger. Here's award-winning actor, Breaking Bad, Brian Cranston at a strike event in New York City today. We've got a message for Mr. Iger. I know, sir, that you look through things through a different lens. We don't expect you to understand who we are. But we ask you to hear us and beyond that to listen to us when we tell you we will not be having our jobs taken away and giving to robots. Now, Cranston's comments, the latest in a growing chorus of criticism aimed at the Disney CEO. It comes after Iger's infamous interview now with our own David Faber two weeks ago when he said that the striking actors and writers' demands were, quote, not realistic. Remember, Bob Iger used to be one of the more popular corporate leaders in Hollywood. So has his comment done some damage to the reputation long term? And more importantly, does it make his job fixing Disney a whole lot more difficult. Let's talk about it with Yale School of Management Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies, Jeff Sonnefeld, and editor-at-large of The Hollywood Reporter, Kim Masters. Jeff, first two, I mean, listen, I understand Bob's comments to David 
you know, they didn't sound great. I admit that. But does he deserve to be the one that's literally just getting destroyed here? Uh, no. I, I think not, a lot of go ahead, Jeff, more. first. Jeff, and then, yeah, Jeff, first, please. Then All we'll right. get to you, Kim. Yeah. I would have been delighted to follow Kim since she's the real expert. So, Kim, I'm always in awe of you. So you, you unravel and correct anything Thank I you. say. But basically, I don't think Bob Iger has a Hollywood problem. I think some people in Hollywood or maybe a, a New Yorker like Brian Cranston, uh, some of the crystal meth from the last show he was on, maybe floated into the air and put him into a bad mood. But he's some in Hollywood have a, ta- a tantrum problem. Bob Iger uh, is, was very realistic. Uh, he talked about the importance of coming to terms. Uh, his interview with David Faber was very good. Uh, and he, he said that they managed to, to come up with a, a, a fair uh, deal for the Directors Guild, and he hoped to do the same thing for the writers and the actors. And, uh, and he did address the issue of, of expectations. They, they're really targeting the wrong guy. This is the guy who really is a champion of talent. Uh, and nobody could have woven together Marvel and, and Lucas uh, arts and and, uh, uh, and and Pixar the way he did. It was, it was yeah. Bob Iger to do that. And you take a look at who's out there. Uh, beating up on Bob Iger is not going to get anybody in Hollywood losing sleep. You're not going to have uh, people at NBC Universal, no offense, Brian, or or Sony or Warner Brothers or Paramount involved. And there are five sets of other players, streamers, Amazon, a- Apple, uh, yeah. Netflix, uh, so many other providers, all the other uh, the final cut directors. That's where the creative decisions are made, not the guys, the studios are distribution and financing. But it did get on CNBC. You see Cranston not maybe thinking about that. And Kim, you're right. And by the way, you, you have a great piece out in Hollywood Reporter unpacking Bob Iger's terrible, horrible, no good PR week. <laughs> okay, right. first, exp- unpack your own unpacking on that story. Tell us what you <laughs> meant. And also, you think there's a part of Bob Iger? It's like, what? Why? Why? Why did I come back? Uh, I think he's I have been told he's under more stress than he's ever faced, which is believable because the industry is going through so much disruption now. Uh, You know, up until your interview at CNBC at Sun Valley. And again, you can talk about the content, but the setting opened the door for Iger to be bashed. It was this bucolic setting. And as Fran Drescher, the head of SAG-AFTRA, lost no time in jumping on this, there he is coming in his private jet in his designer clothes. And she said, are you you an ignoramus? Bob Iger is definitely not used to being talked to like that. He has been, he's had a storied career, probably one of one of the most, maybe the most respected CEOs of the last, who knows, many years. Suddenly, he's got this uphill mountain to climb. They can't figure out how to make money on streaming. There's disruption. They're losing the reliable money from their cable channels. What is, what is he going to do? And, and he, I don't think in a million years he would have imagined that he would overtake David Zaslav of Warner Brothers Discovery as the villain of the week. But with that comment, he he appeared and as Fran Drescher alleged to be tone deaf. So I think this is a a horrible outcome that he would never have wanted. He thinks of himself as a friend of the creatives. But things are very difficult. The the emotions are running really high. He is under tremendous stress. I mean, I noted in my piece there were back to back Wall Street Journal stories, one of them saying uh, his time is up for fixing this. It's been eight months since he came back to the company, yeah. but Wall Street's impatient. The next one also pointing out, you know, ca- accusing him of this elitist thing, wearing these designer shoes, going to the Met Gala, you know, building a bigger yacht. 
all of that is so dissonant with what's happening in Hollywood right now. And uh, the door just opened. And I think he's just found himself in a position like this for the first time ever. And well, listen, this and Kim, last one to you, too, is that this this doesn't appear to be anywhere near any kind of settlement. My guess is when they do settle and, and ultimately they will, they'll probably all hug it out because it's in everybody's best interest to have a good relationship, studios, producers, actors, writers, etc. You know, this is this is a fight. A fight will be over and then maybe they'll, you know, have a little makeup, whatever they, they call it in, in the movie industry. Uh, but well, really, they have got different interests there, Brian, is Netflix produces 400 films a year. Disney produces uh, uh, maybe 15 theatricals and about 50 TV shows. Very different in terms of use of writers and pro production work and all the rest and directors. Yeah. They also have the capitalization so different. Netflix, you talk to people that are in the streaming side, they're willing to last almost a year. A lot of the, the old traditional studios will have this resolved by September. They have almost twice the price earnings yeah. ratio at Netflix as, as Disney. So very different interests. In Kim, terms is there, of, uh, Kim, is there one is there one person out there that you think maybe it's Bob Iger or somebody else that can really play the were, change maker yeah. here? I think people were hoping it was Iger, but unfortunately now he suffered this damage. I have sources telling me there have been federal mediators here from the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service, and they are hoping that as neutral parties, they can bring the parties together, but they can't compel anybody to the table. So, so at some point, and the emotions are running so hot right now that it's truly worrying, like how do you, how do you get back to normal? But at some point, maybe it, maybe it's the federal mediators. I it's, it, we I can't see the way out right now. It's really really looks like a bad situation. Well, when you do figure it out, I'm sure you will, Kim. Please let us know. We'll get you back on along with our friend Jeff Sonnefeld of Yale. Thank you both very much. All right, coming up on kind of a similar story. Is this really the final death spiral of local news? A story you want to hear, and why? If you think you don't care, why it could be very bad for everyone, and maybe a little good for corrupt politicians. All right, welcome back. It's 4.46 p.m. out in beautiful Santa Barbara, California. And that's where we find our next story. Southern California's longest-running newspaper is calling it quits. The Santa Barbara News Press has ceased publication after filing for bankruptcy. That paper has been in business for 168 years. Obviously, the paper, not an outlier, just part of a bigger trend. According to Northwestern University's Medill School, the U.S. had about 9,000 newspapers in 2005, just under that. Fast forward to today, we're down 30% or more, with many papers struggling to survive. Many areas don't have a local paper at all, or they have just one where they used to have two or more. And of course, if you read them, Many of these stories now are not local news stories. They're just recycled national stories from AP and other sources. Now, you should care about this. And let's talk about why. Yale University lecturer and CBC contributor Joanne Lippmann joining us. And here's why we should care, I think, Joanne. And even if people say, why do I care about Santa Barbara Press? Or why do I care about local news? I've got Google. I've got NBC News. I don't whatever. Here's why. If you're a corrupt local politician, and let's be clear, there's a lot of them, Okay. It was always the, the dogged local news reporter working probably with law enforcement that would, that would break some big story that would be able to maybe figure this out, right? Expose some, some bad behavior on the part of local officials or other people, by the way. Who's doing that now? 
Yeah, Brian, this is a, this story is not just about Santa Barbara. This Correct. is about all of us, uh, 100%. Um, there are now, you saw that decline in newspapers. There's now almost two-thirds of U.S. counties have no news at all. These are called news deserts. And the papers that remain, many of them have been cut to the bone so much that newsrooms that used to have 30, 40, 50, 70 people in them now have maybe two reporters, one. There are local newspapers with zero, zero uh, news reporters in them. And what that means is we're not holding the powerful to account. We're not understanding what's going on in the mayor's office with a local community. That's right. Here. We're not hearing about the zoning board. We're not hearing about the school board, right? There are so many of these issues that are going by the wayside. And you're right, Brian, also, it's really dangerous because now people without that local community, it is tearing at the fabric of our social and That's political- That's right, we're not, we're not, you know, and again, again, listen, there's a lot of great local officials, but there's some bad ones too. They know, they know nobody is watching them. There's, there's no local news reporter asking where'd the money go? Or why is that bridge taking, you know, twice the time it should be? By the way, it could also, if you have that kind of abuse, it could raise everybody's taxes because areas' credit ratings can go down because they're not managing their money well because nobody's watching it. That's, okay, so that, that there is a financial incentive as well. And now what's happened, Joanne, and listen, the media is a part of this as well, I admit it, which is instead of arguing about that bridge politely at the local bar, we're yelling at each other about climate or COVID, right, or Biden, or the other guy, right? We're just fighting over national issues, just screaming into the wind. Yeah, there's actually research on this and it just breaks my heart. I mean, actually Yale, MIT, others have done studies on this that show when you lose your local news, what happens is it increases polarization. It tears apart local communities because people then have to go for their news. They're getting national issues. So they start then fighting about climate change. They start fighting about COVID. It increases, and this study showed this, it increases political polarization at the local level. Yeah, because we, we used to, I mean, not like, back, and I don't mean back in the day, you know, where we had our pickaxes, we're in the Yukon looking for gold. It's like 10 years ago, Joanne. And now they're all, it's, it, you wonder, we, we led the show with the story from Politico that the FTC may be trying to break up Amazon and file a lawsuit. You do wonder if there's going to be some help for local news at a government level. But I don't know why Congress would want that, because then the local news people could actually dig into Congress. Yeah, we absolutely need to have some sort of alternate business models. I mean, the business model right now, you have large companies that own lots of newspapers that are basically just trying to cut their way to profitability by cutting staff, which in turn alienates your readers. You lose your readers, you lose your advertising, and then you lose more readers. So it's this downward cycle. It, it breaks my heart. I think you know, Brian, that I was the chief content officer of Gannett I know. Uh, for several years. That's beginning why you're on for this story. <laughs> beginning in 2015, when I joined Gannett, we had 110 newspapers and more than 3,000 journalists. Gannett today uh, has since merged with Gatehouse. It is now more than twice the size, more than 200 newspapers. And how many reporters does it have? It has the same or fewer reporters as it did when it was half the size. And mm. in fact, it laid off 20% of those reporters just last year. So we really do need to look for alternate methods of supporting yeah. journalism. Luckily, there are some. I mean, there's some nonprofits. There are, there's yep. 200 nonprofit 
local newsrooms out there now, including ones like Mississippi Today, one of the great ones, won a Pulitzer Prize yeah. this year. You know, so so we do have some um, there, really, you know, positive little green shoots. There are. Yep. Thank you. Joanne Lippmann, an important story. Let's do more on it later on. Keep on. All right. Absolutely. Coming up, $800 million for one year of work. The Joe Pompliano next. All right, some of the most influential leaders across sports and money are in Los Angeles today. Julia Borston at the big event. Julia. That's right, Brian. Here at the CNBC Boardroom Game Plan Summit, it's packed with owners, agents, and athletes discussing the future of the sports business. And there's no question that sports rights are more valuable now than ever, especially in light of the writers and actors' strikes shutting down scripted production. But there are looming questions about how and where consumers will be able to find their sports content. And after Disney CEO Bob Iger said that ESPN will eventually go direct to consumer, I asked ESPN chief Jimmy Pitaro how that will all work. We are obviously very aware of what's happening in the traditional television world. Uh, and we, uh, that business model has been very good to ESPN and the Walt Disney Company. It continues to be very good to the Walt Disney Company. At the same time, Bob and I have been clear that taking our channels, our flagship channels, direct to consumer is when, it's not if. Uh, by the way, when, I, I do want to clarify something. When we do do that, It'll be in parallel with the traditional world. I also asked Batara about CEO Bob Iger's comments on the potential for ESPN to find partners and the report that ESPN and Disney are talking to the leagues, the NBA, the NFL and the MLB. Can't comment on who we're talking to. Um, I will I will emphasize the fact that we believe that there are parties out there uh, that can help us on the content side. Um, and so you can, you can draw whatever conclusions you want from that. I also asked Pataro, along with Amazon Sports Chief Jay Marine, about their interest in NBA rights. They are coming up for grabs at the end of the 2024-25 season. They both said that, of course, they're interested. You can find more from the interviews here at Game Plan on CBC.com. Brian? Love it. I just want an invite next year. Julia Borston, thank you very much. Left us out. All right, in the meantime, the sports world continues to grapple with Saudi Arabia's monster offer to French soccer superstar Kylian Mbappe. According to multiple reports, Saudi club Al-Halal put forward a one-year, $776 million offer that works out to about $88,500 an hour of just living, much more playing. Let's talk about with Joe Pompliano, investor Pomp Investments, and the host of the Joe Pomp podcast. What? That's my question. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, it's really an unprecedented deal, really, for sports in general, but uh, soccer specifically. And I think people need to just zoom out for a second and really just look at what Saudi Arabia has done over the last few years. Their state-controlled oil company, Aramco, produces 10 million barrels of crude oil per day, and they reported a net profit last year of $161 billion. But they're trying to diversify out of fossil fuels, and they want to invest in sports. So they've been investing billions in sports through their sovereign wealth fund. 
They bought Newcastle United for $400 million. Mm-hmm. They spent a billion dollars hosting WWE events every single year. They just spent $3 billion on investment with the PGA Tour. And they even offered to buy Formula One for $20 billion. But when you look at this, there's really no better sport than soccer. It's global. There's 3.5 billion fans worldwide. And Mbappe is one of the best players in the world in his prime at 24 years old. Yeah. And by the way, Al-Halal, owned by the Saudi Investment Fund, unlimited money, the most successful team, by the way, in Asia, been around forever. So maybe this is a real deal. Quickly, maybe this is a real offer. It it seems like it might be. Some of this is image rights and other things like that, too. Uh, But it's certainly something to contemplate, considering he can leave after one year. Joe, really appreciate it. 776 million bucks for a year. That's real money by anybody's standards. Joe, appreciate it. Get you back on soon. All right. Finally, on last call, if you missed the top of the show, and we forgive you if you did, the artificial intelligence frenzy has reached some new heights. We listened in on the conference calls for both Alphabet and Microsoft. And this beautiful ballad that we put together, we have to hear one more time. Listen. AI, AI, and AI, 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 Would you like to play a game? Anyway, no, that that was like, by the way, we didn't have time for it all. By our count, 145 combined mentions of AI in just those two conference calls, not just the CEOs, other execs as well. Great job by the team putting that together as well. Rolling with the top of the show. I love everybody. We'll see you tomorrow night. Shark Tank, even you, Max, is next. <laughs> Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.